Welcome to Midnight Book Club. I'm John Hart. And I'm Alexa. Pour yourself a stiff drink, pull up a chair, and get lost in the fantasy for a while. six the first time i saw it six really mm-hmm. your parents allowed you to watch star wars uh, surprisingly yes what was good about star wars and bad about smurfs <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> um they didn't call it magic i think the force is magical space magic okay space magic like space magic your parents policy is like space if it wasn't magic. called magic then it's okay basically yes but that is anything correct. Else, anything that's called magic is that bad. seems to be the general policy okay yep still yep. trying to figure that out uh i've spent the better part of 33 ish years trying to figure that out and let me know if you get any progress on that yeah i'll let you know okay because i'm pretty lost myself so what about you alexa were there any shows that you weren't allowed to watch as a kid no but my parents did cut out all of the album art from Destiny's Child. Mm, mm-hmm. Like, I don't remember what album it was, but they thought it would be a bad influence. Well, you know, they had the midriff t- t-shirts and the low-rise jeans, and they were wiggling their butts around in, in public. But they never had, like, any policy about what I could and couldn't watch, weirdly. I had a television huh. in my room. Okay, yeah. And I never really took advantage of that. So I wasn't allowed to have a television in my room. Okay. But I was allowed to have a computer in my room <laughs> with, okay, so the caveat was that I had, it didn't have wireless internet. Okay. Okay. It didn't have wireless internet that my parents knew. Oh, <laughs> so how did you get internet? Um, okay. So it, it, I had a big, long hundred foot ethernet cable that uh, I used to, during the day, I would run out to the router out in the living room and just like plug it in. And then my dad knew when I was on the internet because there was a big long network cable that was running through the hallway of the house. However, okay, confession time. One of my buddies who worked uh, for the IT department at at my high school got me a a USB wireless network card. Oh. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Um, And I was able to, so like I was able to like, plug that in and like hide it under like some books or something and like i then had internet whenever i wanted it additionally like eventually my my parents were a little bit more like oh well you know the computer can't be on at certain times i was like okay so in order to download things i had gotten a recycled desktop from my buddy also that i set up in the closet next to my computer and i had a single power cable and a single network cable running to that And then I plugged the wireless adapter into that, connected that to the internet, and then I would remote into via like a local network connection, like an ad hoc network connection between the two computers. I would remote into the other computer. I would set up like a a download or something, (laughs) and then I would just let it go. I'm starting to see how I got my start in IT and cybersecurity. (laughs) So you owe your career in IT to your parents being restrictive with the internet. There is a good, yes, th- that is, there is a good like 20 to 30% of that is definitely very much that. Yes. I also have a very strong memory of, of uh, getting a copy of Empire Earth, which was like the sequel to Age of Empires yeah. um, and being really excited about it because it was like the new, it had, it had 3D graphics. 
Ooh. 3D graphics. Um, but the home computer, the desktop computer at home didn't have a graphics card. Oh, that's really sad. Yeah. So I had to, not only did I have to get a graphics card, I had to, so I went out and bought a graphics card. I saved up my, whatever, like my couch change or lawn mowing money, whatever income I had as a 12 year old. I don't really remember what, what we did. If anything, I saved all that up. I got a graphics card. It was like a really shitty, it was like some no name company. I finally got it. It was like, it took me months. I bring it home and I open up the desktop computer and the desktop computer didn't have a graphics card slot. Oh <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was so old that it didn't actually have a slot for a dedicated graphics card. So you weren't able to work around that? Nope. Oh. Nope. That's nope. where the trail went cold. I, I literally, yeah, I, I, I literally just had to like wait until I got like, until we got another computer in, really in order sad. to play that That game. is an incredibly sad story. It was very sad. <laughs> but th- I was telling all that because, yeah, that, that those are the reasons that I learned as much about computers as I did. Well... I, I don't know what this has to do with The Witcher, um, but, you know, tragic tales from John Mark's childhood are always kind of fun. So, yay. I had dial-up internet until the age of maybe 14. Mm-hmm. My mom never got wireless internet. Mm-hmm. So, I would sit with my mm-hmm. laptop. The neighbors had free mm-hmm. Wi-Fi, but it was mm-hmm. a very weak signal. Yep. So, I would sit, like, as close to the window as possible. Yep, yep. And... It would like work maybe 50% of the time. Yep. And I would download LimeWire. <laughs> mm, I mean, no, no, you wouldn't. <clears throat> I would not, definitely did not do that. Yes. No, no, you would but not. But the file names were called really funny things. Yes. And yes, they when were. I uploaded them into iTunes, they would always be the wrong like album cover art. Yep. Half of them were I, in I, Russian. No, they were, yep. they were not the correct band name, yep. like not the correct song name. So. Yeah, because it was just some dude on the internet like thinking saying like oh i think that sounds like lincoln park yeah that's definitely them yeah no it wasn't but that's probably a good thing Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. anyway we're not here to talk about weird tales of internet of lore Mm -hmm. we are here to talk about chapter six we are of lady of the lake chapter six we cut back to uh someone that we haven't talked about in a while or even Um, thought about someone that we haven't talked about or even thought about in a while it is Yare. You sound excited. I, this chapter happened. <laughs> okay, yeah. It wasn't an exciting chapter, but you got to see some cameos from some people you really like, right? Yeah, this is true. Um, it was also kind of nice to have a little, like, I don't want to say a break chapter, but um, this chapter is shorter um, than a lot of the, the... So the chapters have progressively been getting longer and longer. They, mm-hmm. they started out at like 30 pages or so. Then they kind of worked their way up to like 40 or 50. And they were kind of poking up towards like 60 pages for like a one chapter. Um, this one, I think, was right back down at like 30 or so. Yeah. So um, this will probably maybe be a shorter episode, but I always say that and we always find things to talk about. So Yeah, I'm sure we'll find a way to Yeah, I was going to say we still always end up at about two hours for an episode, so... Shall we shall we get into the the short and the skinny? Sure. Just as soon as I pull up my notes. Your handy dandy n- notes phone? <laughs> notebook, I guess. <laughs> Virtual notebook? Yes, digital notebook cuz we live in the future. E-notebook. It is the on the information superhighway. God, that's a phrase that I'm really glad died. Why? 
I mean, it sounds I, really awesome. It's it's so dated at this point, though. Like, yeah, but it's so dated that it's like the twenty year cycle, and it's going to come back. It around. might. It might. Oh, you know, it might come back around. So again, we are covering chapter six of Lady of the Lake, and we open on Yare, who is on the road and losing his faith in humanity, as it tends to go. Um, No one wants to give him shelter or food when he asks, and he's just walking all night, sleeping under the open sky, and pretty depressed about the state of things. And as he's walking, he sees this red comet in the sky. Now, this is a callback to the very beginning of the book when Conwirmers said that they saw this figure walking down a road with a red comet. Now, the red comet is signaling some sort of significance, and we get into what it could mean later, but it is also a marker. So this is around March of, I believe, 1273, but don't quote me on that. Sure. Wow, Wow. look at you with, like, actual numbers there with the date. I was going to say comets were also historically very, like, significant events. Um, Astronomers really, really like them. Uh, Astronomers and historians alike really, really like them because they can precisely track them. Um, so when like there's a literary reference to a comet being in the sky, mm-hmm. um, they can literally put a date like, oh, that was March 22nd of 1123. Yeah. Nimue was really excited about mm-hmm. this when Conwirmer saw it in her dream mm-hmm. because it's a marker of time. So it's exactly yes. for that reason, yes. because usually in these dreams that you're seeing, you can't tell what time period these things are happening. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this comet was showing that it's this particular time period. Mm-hmm. So that's why she was really excited about it. And of course, Anse would be familiar with this marker of time as well, because... I think the comet I'm most familiar with is um, Haley's? Haley's Comet. Haley's Comet, yeah. Um, it comes around like every 100 every years. Hun- 83 or so. Like once in a lifetime, right? Yeah, yeah. Just barely not quite once in a lifetime, but it's, yeah, yeah, close enough. There's, It's always kind of like interesting because they, they always get really excited when like there's a person alive who has seen it twice mm-hmm. um, and they make a big deal out of it. Sorry. There was a Hey Arnold episode about it. Yes. That's why I remember yep, it. Yep. Anyway, so Yare is losing his faith in humanity. Um, Welcome to the club, Yare. We completely get it. He's crossing this creepy footbridge in the middle of a creepy forest, and he gets a really bad feeling about what's about to go down. And some figures step out onto the bridge, and they threaten him and want to have everything he has. Um, Yari says, I don't have anything. Like, what do you want? My clothes? This cane? Like, I literally, like, don't even have any pocket change. Um, And then, and trigger warning, because this line is very not okay. It's pretty icky. Um, I'll put in the show notes if you want to skip this part. One of the bandits, the leader of this little motley crew, says... We were hoping for a wench to come by, but in all honesty, anything will do in a pinch, insinuating that he is going to rape Yare. Yay! Yare is fortunately saved by another bandit in this group that says, Wait, I know you. It's me, Melfi. Do you recognize me? And Yare is like trying to stop himself from passing out. (laughs) Yeah. He's like trying to steady himself like, Oh yeah, Melfi, hi. 
how are you doing? And because of this, they invite him into the group, even though Yari is not that excited about traveling with him. They're all headed to Vizima. They're all headed to this common objective. So the bandits are like, why don't you come along with us? So later, they're all eating around the fire. And it turns out that the reason they're heading to Vizima is to join up in the army. And everyone has different reasons for this. Um... Some of them were conscripted. It sounds like there's not quite like a draft, but it seems like for every like 500 acres, you need to devote something to the war cause. So Mm -hmm. whether that's your son or taxes or what have you. And Yari says that he's planning to do the same thing. And everyone asks Yari like why he's going to join since um, he is or Melfi knows that he is a learned boy um he lived at the temple he was one of the scholars um yari says that he wanted to do it out of patriotic duty um he can't just sit back and do nothing he's just seen like all of the temple girls go off and join the war effort so what is he supposed to do just sit on his ass and wait for it to be over um everyone just kind of laughs at him and makes fun of his uh patriotic duty i think pike who has a list by the way which i'm not going to attempt to do because i don't want to make fun of that but it is written into the dialogue here also it took us like a good 15 to 20 minutes before we realized that the lisp was written into the dialogue and it wasn't like weird words that he was saying yeah he he keeps calling it patriotic duty yeah yeah which I don't know how that would work as a lisp, but anyways. Anyway, so everyone is laughing at him. They say that patriotic duty is a mark of a feeble mind. So what are your personal reasons? You mentioned that you were joining for some sort of personal reason, Yari. Like, what are those? And Yari says, like, I'm not going to disclose my personal reasons. And Pike says, well, if you were any man other than a scribe, I'd punch you right in the mouth. Pike is our ringleader, and we're really not going to like him throughout this chapter. So just a heads up on that. I'm sure you've already put that together. Yari's getting a little testy at this point, and he, like, is pushing back on Pike. And Melfi sort of gets in between Pike and Yari and um, is trying to explain Yare's actions. He says he's just upset about the prank earlier. Don't mind him. Yare, it was just a joke. Like, why don't we just let bygones be bygones? And Yare says... Jokes, right? Yeah, I'm just upset about that. That's all I'm upset about, right? So the next morning, they set off for Vizima and a couple of them are singing jaunty marching songs. And a lot of them are just telling dumb Nilfgaardian jokes um, that are just you know, dehumanizing the enemy sort of thing. Um, and they're really dumb. When I say dumb, I mean like, yeah, they're the the, like, I didn't even write them down if I remember right, because they were so they're the kind of, they're the kind of jokes that you hear at a, at a no name comedy club at like three o'clock on a two, three o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday night kind of thing where it's just like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. Okay. Yep. Those Nilf guardians sure are dumb. Yep. Mm-hmm. So as they're going along, they come across um, merchant carts, bailiffs, many other people, um, and they start just picking up things that are falling off the carts for sustenance, including carrots, potatoes, onions. They're putting all they can in their bags. 
And they come across this rich town and all of the boys except for Melfi really are complaining about how halflings are always so successful and war never affects them. Um, And that someone should teach them a lesson and like, you know, maybe we should just hit up their houses and take things from them. But Pike says he'll just make a mental note for now and um, come back later, whatever that means. And they all keep moving and start singing again, this time about the inevitability of death. So a little while later, they're walking along and they come across a trader pulling a cart with a donkey. This is a one-man trader operation, so he's pulling the cart on his back and he's pretty vulnerable. And Pike um, is thinking that this man has to have like some goods, something worth cash, like something that's valuable to him. Um, At the very least, we could probably get some money for the donkey. And Yare tries to grab Melfi's attention. And he's like, don't you hear what's being planned right now? And Melfi's like, oh, they're just joking. There's nothing to worry about. And uh, Pike is like, all right, boys, let's get to it. Let's go rob the merchant. And Yare is like, what the hell is happening? I did not sign up for this. Yare like jumps in front of Pike and he's like, no, we are not doing this. And Pike pulls out a knife where he reveals one um, inside his jacket. And he's like, oh, are you sure about that? And just as he does that, two um, Lansgrenners, um, which is... Lansneckers? Lansneckers. Lansneckers, which I can't pronounce to save my life. We look these guys up. They're pikemen, mm-hmm. um, like traditionally medieval pikemen. They're kind of like a, a weird cross between like a halberdier and like um, uh, a musketeer. Um, they usually wear very light armor, um, but they have like a, they usually have a, a fast swishy sword mm-hmm. for lack of a better description. They're often dressed very finely. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I think they kind of tend to be more like light patrols. Um, than anything else yeah so they come out and they confront pike and the rest of the group and they're like wait what's going on here and pike right away changes his tune and um he's like oh we weren't doing anything we're just heading to vizima um and the pike men are like okay we're heading that way too and anyone that would like to join us for out of protection are welcome to do so um and like the merchant and Yare start walking along with these two men and they uh, the merchant thanks the two men and then thanks Yare because he heard and saw what he did and the pikemen say you know during times like this during times of war um, when the state calls up for recruits you know towns are quick to get rid of their problem members so the roads get filled with bandits and marauders you know that's why we're here in the first place we're here to keep the order yare how did you end up traveling with those hooligans anyway and yare says well it was actually by fate and the pikeman says i see i've seen many chance encounters like this on the road and usually doesn't end well those men will however learn discipline by the lance corporal's whips when they get into the army but it would be best for you to remember though even though it was just fate and you were traveling with them not on your own choice like chance will lead you to the same gibbet 
if you travel with the wrong kind, you're probably going to get in trouble for it or maybe put to death. So they come to a crossroads and they see this standing army off into the distance and one of the pikemen say, oh, here's one of the armies now. We're close. Yari identifies um, a silver eagle on a crimson banner. And so we know it's Redania and Yare identifies it as such. Yare describes one of the other companies that was there, the three lilies on a blue field, which is the uh, shield of Temeria. And he even explains like the whole history of Temerian battle flags and everyone's like, nerd. Um, at least Pike is not very um, happy about him explaining that. The pikemen say to go on and they're very impressed with Yare's knowledge. Um, so they see multiple companies pass by and several of them are pointed out as being of interest. And one of the loudest companies is the Free Company. And the Free Company was the company that um, Redania was able to hire because of um, the northern money that came in the deal that Dijkstra was able to make um, with Kavir. They're just mercenaries, um, but they're really well paid and really well trained. So it's good to have them on your side if you have the coin. Um, so they're singing this long and loud song about the Ducat. It's like, you know, basically cash rules everything around me. We don't bow to any man. Uh, we just fight for gold, basically. Um, and everyone's in awe of this company because they're so impressive. Um, a lot of their commanders are really well known and famous. Pike is like, is that a lady that's leading one of the troops? How does that work? Um, it turns out this is Julia, Pretty Kitty, Abba Marco. Um, she was one of the leaders that um, was responsible for the victory at Mayenna. Um, we don't really know what Mayenna is, but it's one of the key battles that keeps being pointed out this chapter. No, I mean, I, I definitely know what Mayenna is, and I've totally heard of it before. Yeah, so we keep hearing about the battles at Mayenna and Maribor, and apparently they're significant. Um, so we also see the Mahakam dwarves are marching up and they're sort of at the tail. One of Pike's crew comments, well, it didn't seem to do um, as much good having the free company around since Nilfgaard just regrouped right after. Um, I'll bet this group even double crossed us. And the pikeman is like, what do you know? If you swallowed a cockroach in your soup, you'd have more brains in your guts than in your head, which is just an absolute take Amazing down. drag. Just absolutely fantastic. Uh, the pikeman says we should get moving now. Um, that'll be the last company and the road should be clear now. We cut to an astrologer who is talking about the significance of the comet. And apparently when a comet with a um, blue tail goes across the sky, it foretells frost, sickness, and cold. But a red tail foretells war, famine, and fever. This means death for us. And one of the pikemen says, well, this comet can be seen by Nilfgaard too, so it could mean death for them. The astrologer is like, yeah, I guess it could. Or it couldn't. Or it couldn't. Um, so they keep moving down the road, and they are now on the outskirts of Vizima. And one of the pikemen points out, um, cover your orifices, <laughs> um, cover your mouths, because there are huge trenches that just have piles of soldier feces in them because, well, right now it's spring 
And in the winter, at least these latrines are frozen over, but now there's nothing to cover the scent. But you got to figure there's 500,000 dudes in a city waiting on standing orders Mm -hmm. to be in an army. They have to poop. They have to eat, so they have to poop. Yep. Um, and <laughs> that has to go somewhere. Flies are attracted to the poop, of course, so they're just buzzing around everywhere, and apparently they just get into your eyes, nose, and mouth, so um, it's a little easier just to um, eat them than Yeah, just to <laughs> crunch them down away. on them to, than to shoo them away. Um, so as they get closer to the city, um, Yari realizes that it's not just the trenches that stink. As they walk into the main courtyard, they are greeted by a large mural of a knight pointing directly at the person entering, like right at the entrance of the city. Um, and it's basically like an Uncle Sam, like I want I you, want you as a new recruit, like I want you to join. Mm-hmm. Um, and as they walk further into the city, they pass by a pillory, and there's someone in it, and everyone's like, "Well." what's that guy doing up there? And the pikeman is like, by God, like, what is that guy doing up there? And an older man um, comments he's up there for farming defeatism. And both of the pikemen are taken aback um, because this man um, is well known. A- he, he's well known as a cobbler. Oh, he's he was a cooper. A cooper, sorry. Yeah, um, so th- he same, was a cooper. His father was a cooper, and so was his grandfather. Mm -hmm. He's in good standing. And the man says, while he was sowing um, for Nilfgaard some strange plant that they asked him to grow, um, we've already hung two elves today alone for spreading um, despair or defeatism. And they continue on across the city. And Yare notices suddenly that all of the rest of the boys are gone. And Hmm. uh, the pikeman says, oh, you're noticing all your friends left. Well, that's not surprising. I'm sure they found some side alley to duck off into. It's better that your paths diverged anyway. It would be best that you um, didn't cross their path again. Yari says, it's a shame about Melfi, though. He was a good lad. Pikeman says, he chose his destiny and you're choosing yours. The merchant that... um, had been traveling with him um, that the pikemen had rescued. rescued. (laughs) They come to the end of their little journey and the merchant's about to go on his way. But he says like, hey, like I'd love to offer you something for saving me. Like, would you care for something to carry for protection? I've got an amulet to ward off lightning strikes, a corpse's tooth to help with bad gases, a ring to protect against the evil eye. And the pikemen immediately refuses. But then like the merchant is like, Okay, like, come on, I want to give you something. And so the pikeman says, do you have anything to ward off the effects of bad vittles? And the merchant says, I have just the thing. Here's a tincture. Three drops after a meal should do the trick. I would like to point out, actually, that it was um, it was a tincture of, like, fennel seed and, like, dandelion root or something like that. Mm-hmm. Both of which are actually well-known, like, herbal remedies for indigestion. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, And so... The pikeman points out where Yari should go. Um, There's a tavern right up there. You can't miss where you can sign up for the war. Um, Good luck. And uh, 
uh, I wish you well. And then he leaves Yari and the merchant alone. So uh, the merchant comments about how kind the pikemen are. And then um, he wants to thank Yare. And um, he says, like, I think I have, you know, just the thing for you. Um, and it's the only one I have. But it's very popular with the young people. And he pulls out this heart-shaped medallion um, that has a little piece of papyrus inside the locket. And when you put your true love's name in, they will never forget you no matter how much time or distance separates you. And Yare kind of pauses for a minute. He's like, I'll take it. Um, and so the merchant says, what's your beloved's name then? And Yare says, Siri or Cirilla. And just then Yare hears a voice that he recognizes, even here in Vizima. And um, someone just says, Yare, is that you? And it's Dennis Cranmer, who you might not remember, even if you've read from the very beginning. I did not remember him. So he was for a long time in the service of uh, the King's Guard or the Duke's Guard in Ellender. Um, he was the dwarf who was with the knights um, that had it out for Geralt, that demanded that Geralt fight one of them. and um, At the Temple of Malatel. Um, right when he was leaving the temple. And um, after... Geralt won, won in a duel um, against this knight named Thales, who was a knight of the Order of the White Rose. He was really upset, and the older knight was like, you should put him to death anyway, you should arrest him. And Dennis Cranmer was the guy that says, no, actually, he won fair and square. I did not at all realize that he was a dwarf in any way. Um, so that was kind of like, I think that was probably the bigger, harder thing for me to realize was like, oh, yeah, okay, I kind of remember that guy, but uh, yeah, I didn't realize he was a dwarf. Right, so Dennis, who knows Yari pretty well, asks, does Naneke know you're here? And Yari blushes, and he doesn't answer, and Dennis says, oh, so you just ran away. I should pack you up in a box and ship you back to the temple, since I know Naneke and the others are probably tearing their hair out looking for you. Yari says, but I left them a note. And Dennis says, well, why would you even leave like that? And Yari explains that he came to join the army to volunteer, that it didn't feel right staying home while everyone else was out fighting for his safety and everyone's safety. And Dennis says, well, even though I should, you know, pack you up for your insolence and running away like that, when was the last time you had a decent hot meal? And Yari is like, eh, like, maybe four days ago and Dennis sighs and he's like okay come with me and so they go to the shaggy bear pub um where these two um dwarves are fighting it out for some reason and um we're joined by Dennis's buddies Zoltan Chive and Yay! uh Shelton Skaggs Ooh. and Yarpen Zegrin Yay! <laughs> Yarpen Zegrin we met um, during the Golden Dragon chapter. And we also met him um, when Geralt, Triss, and Ciri were traveling with them when they were delivering what turned out to be rocks um, for Cadewin. Um, so Yerpen Zegrin should be well known. And Zoltan Chive, we've run into much more recently, so you should know who he is. Sheldon Skaggs is a new character here. Um, so as Yari is eating, he's eating ravenously because he's so hungry. And Zoltan says, slow down, son. No one's going to take your food away from you. 
And Yare um, is not so sure about that because uh, these dwarves who are fighting are about to knock into the table. Yeah, he was mostly just worried that like somebody was going to land on him. Sheldon um, asks, like, I don't get it. How can Yare, since he's a priest, spill blood? And Dennis says, well, he's not a priest. He's a scribe of the temple and he has no problem spilling blood in a just war. Yari says, exactly, the motherland was calling. And Sheldon says, well, that settles it. There's no doubting that humans are like us. There's plenty of hot-headed young dwarves like you too. And they're stupid. Um, Not exactly a compliment from Sheldon. Um, So though I don't even think that there's a good reason to fight this war right now, um, you know, the Sintran army has been fighting for Nilfgaard. ever since Empress Cirilla married Amir. And Yarpin Zegrin chimes in, you know, that marriage is a hoax. I, I know the girl. I know there's no way she would ever agree to that. Uh, Dennis says, you know, Yarpin, like, how did you ever meet her? Like, you talk like you know her well. And Yarpin says, I do. And Zoltan says, well, I'm going to have to agree with Yarpin. Like, I haven't met her, but I know that that girl has a different destiny. So Sheldon says, you know, the more important thing is that the center army group for Nilfgaard is marching up the Aruga and will soon be upon us all. I don't expect a great battle is just going to pass us by. Um, Meanwhile, there's um, the conclusion of the dwarves who are fist fighting. Um, One of them knocks one the other down and... um, Dennis Cramer announces that the victor is now going to lead one of the army groups. I guess this is how dwarves settle things and the winner gets to lead. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, it's not a, not the, have we tried that? We haven't. We, maybe we, we should next presidential like election. We should just consider just putting them both in like an octagon and just like letting them go nuts. Yeah, so Yari says, like, um, it's said in the Dougal Council that this war is going to be the war to end all wars, and everyone laughs, including Dennis, and Yari says, like, what? Like, don't you agree? After an awkward silence, Sheldon points to the end of the bar and says, look at Evangelina over there. She's by all accounts a big woman, quite possibly the biggest, but that doesn't mean she's a whore to end all whores. I don't like that, Uh, but okay. I I get his point. I don't like it, but I get it. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. So later, Dennis and Yari are walking down the street, and Dennis says, I have to applaud you for not reacting when Siri's name was being um, brought up. And Yari turns a crimson red, and Dennis says, Come on. I know a lot about what went down in Neneke's temple, and plus, I also overheard you talking to that merchant, and I heard the name that the merchant wrote on that amulet. Um, keep it up. It's important that you do not let on to your real motivations. Um, and by the way, stop staring at um, anti-war graffiti because Yari is staring right at this graffiti that says make love, not war, where below someone has written and take a shit every day. Dennis says that you can get in trouble for just looking at murals like that. And punishments are very harsh. He says to follow him. So they walk out into another courtyard full of hanging corpses. And Dennis says, um, he points out each one. He says that this one got caught um, writing other graffiti that 
Another one was spreading rumors that um, the woman over there was the madam of a house in town. It was like a rolling brothel. The brothel had a sign on it that said, soldiers, get your leg over today because you might not be able to tomorrow. It wasn't just uh, that. She also um, had a sex worker in there that had the clap, which um, could be technically preventing military readiness. Um, Yari is like, well, how do I even prepare to not get in trouble like this? And Dennis says, it's hard to say. The best thing you can really do is get into a good unit. And Yari says, well, can you put in a good word for me? And Dennis is like, um, even if I did say something, like that's not going to look good for you. Like I would just be hurting your chances. Yeah, you, you don't want that. <laughs> that's like your mom writing a note to like a to- military recruiter. Like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's okay, but like now you just look like a mama's boy. Yeah, yeah. Or or like your your mom writing a note to like the school bully like please don't pick on my son. <laughs> please be good to him. So like Dennis um explains it like it'd be like sending you in with lemon stitched into the back of your jacket in gold string. Yeah, I don't quite know what he meant by lemon stitched into his I I get the whole like something written on your back in bright gold glittery things yeah but literally like i don't get what he meant by the phrase lemon so yari says well okay but is there space in your unit um and dennis is like no and yari says is it because i'm not a dwarf and dennis is like yep that's it dennis uh thinks to himself that he still owes naneke too many debts um he needs yari to come back in one piece and the worst jobs are given to the dwarves from mahakam um, because they're non-humans and uh, Tamaria is really racist. I don't know how else to say it. Yeah, no, that, um, that, that, I think that about sums it up. Yeah, so Dennis walks Yari up to um, the gateway and points out where the recruiting table is. And he says, here's where we separate. This is where the enlistment regiment is taking up residence. Go in there and tell them who you are and why you've come. And I'll see you on the other side of this. And Yari says, you too, I'll see you. Yari walks um, up to the booth and Dennis mutters to himself, if there is another side. Um, So we cut to Yari approaching the enlistment officer and the officer is like, name? He's like, Yari? And he's like, okay, what are your skills? And Yari says, well, I can speak the elder's speech and I can write in um, calligraphorm and I, and the recruiting officer is like, well, can you ride a horse? And Yari's like, no. And he's like, well, can you shoot a bow? Nope, can't do that either. Military intelligence, boom. Um, can you wield a sword? No, absolutely not. Well, can you cook? Yari's like, no. And, uh, but, but I did read about Percival's history of sword fighting and I found it very fascinating. And the officer is like, okay, I know just the place to put you PFI, take this chit, run down to the other side of town and go beyond the gate and down by the lake and you'll meet up with them there. And Yari's like, okay, thanks. Bye. Um, so later Yare is walking through the street. He hears a voice call out behind him and, uh, Yare, is that you? It's me, Melfi. And he's like swaying and speaking with a, uh, definite slur. And Yare is like, oh, hey, like what happened to you back there? And Melfi says, you'll never believe it. I think they were bad men. And Yare is like, no No. really (laughs) what What? (laughs) 
Um, and Melfi is like, yeah, I figured it out pretty quick, though. And Yari is like, oh, yeah, you definitely did. <laughs> you um, got him, buddy. So Melfi is like, you'll never guess what their plan was. And he explains they needed horses, banners, and weapons. That's why they were trying to enlist. They were going to steal them from the army and then ride around pretending to be collecting taxes. Nyari says, that's awful. And Melfi says, yeah, I'm actually already enlisted. And Yari is like, well, where are you going? And Melfi says, well, I have to go over to uh, the south side of town. And it sounds strangely like the same direction that Yare was pointed to by the recruiting officer. But Yare is like, of course, oh, yeah, you probably are going. I'm probably going to someplace different, though. But someplace better. We might be going to the same direction. We are not the same. Um, and Melfi is like, oh, yeah, I'm sure they put you with the smart Alex. Uh, you're you're probably in charge of important things. Um, and so they walk in the same general direction and um, they hear someone yelling. Um, and it's like a commanding officer who's saying that there's hay on both sides for fuck's sake, even it up. And Melfi says, I think this might be it. And Yari is like, this cannot be it this doesn't seem right it was the lance corporals yelling sorry it was a callback and a lance corporal is like a thing okay yeah yeah sorry so uh the lance corporal sees them and he says fresh recruits huh what the fuck are you doing like march in place when you're talking to me go over to the armory get your kit you have four minutes be back polish your boots and be fucking ready for 7 a.m muster tomorrow morning that's some color commentary from John Mark, who's actually been through boot camp. No, no, that those were that was that was verbatim actually from the book. Really? Yes, it was. Okay, never mind. It was it was also actually pretty good. The polish your boots thing was for me. Yeah, that's what <laughs> The rest of it was verbatim though. Okay, let me read this one more time. Okay. Do you want me to read it? Sure. Fresh recruits, huh? What the fuck do you think you're doing? March in place when you're talking to me. Go over to the armory and get your kit. You have four minutes. Be back. Polish your boots and be fucking ready for 7 a.m. muster tomorrow morning. Do you fucking understand me? Left turn, march. Why are you still standing here? Um. So anyway, Yare is like, hey, I think there's been some sort of mistake. Um, I'm supposed to be with the smart kids. Um, and I just wanted to clear up any possible confusion um the lance corporal is like uh, a mistake you think you're here by accident and yare is like well i'm supposed to be posted to the pfi unit oh you think this is some kind of a mistake you think you're here on accident <laughs> oh you found the pfi welcome to the pfi the poor fucking infantry yes so that's what pfi stands for and welcome to the basically hell on earth <laughs> Also, it was kind of hard to, like, project that into the microphone without, like, blowing out the microphone. I would like to... I, I think I did a pretty good job, but, you know. So, we'll see what happens to Yari next. Um, but we do have a cut to what happens to Pike and the rest of the gang after they stole what they could and went off on their marauding adventures. Um, so Rocco Hildebrand, uh, the first and the oldest of the halfling family says, I don't understand. We've paid our taxes already. We paid our animal tax. We paid our property tax. We paid our poll tax, our grain tax. Um, four halflings, including my own son, have been drawn up into the army and our coach drivers. 
And the ringleader, um, our friend Pike, is like, well, you see, we feel that it's not quite enough. We're here um, in support of the army and in defense of the state. Um, and the rest of the company is eyeing up the rest of this family. And Rocco says, I've definitely paid everything. Um, you're not going to uh, leave with anything. Um, I'm not giving you anything. Pike says, honestly, I would prefer that since you being here is an affront to God. And I think it's disgusting that you're here sowing crops and making money off of a land that could go to humans. And Rocco says, okay, so that that's how it is. You're definitely not getting anything now. I think you should leave now. And Pike says, get them, boys. But before I can even get them, um, get that sentence out. Before he can before, even... Before he can even get them, they got to him. So before he can even utter that sentence, Rocco pulls out a crossbow from a hidden position and shoots him square in like in the, the mouth. Throat. Oh, right in the mouth while he had his mouth open while he was saying, get them, boy. And um, in a matter of seconds, the rest of the halflings have um, pulled out other weapons, some improvised, some not. Pitchforks, throwing knives, real knives, you know. Garden shears. Yeah, garden shears, uh, scythe. Yep. And mows down the rest of the group and everyone is dead by brutal, absolutely brutal means. We're told that the entire incident took place more or less the same time it would to rapidly utter the sentence. Halflings are incredibly fast and can throw all sorts of missiles unerringly. And Rocco sits down on the cottage steps next to his wife in Carvilia Hildebrand, nay Bibervelt. We should know that name. Um, we know Dainty Bibervelt is part of that family from the Eternal Fire short story. And uh, they're sitting there sort of catching their breath and um, they see that grandma and one of the cousins is coming back grandma who had three kills by the way yeah so they they had just like gone off to kill like three of them and they're coming back and grandma's sort of holding her back and Rocco thinks to himself oh it looks like mom's getting up in years <laughs> she can't murder like she used yep, to yep. can't just murder the bandits like she used to <sighs> so sam hoffmeyer not samuel genji uh, mind you uh, asks, where should we bury the brigands, Mr. Rocco? And Rocco says, in the birch cops next to the other ones. And scene. <laughs> Sam Hoffmeyer was just a blatant reference. Oh, God, yes. Yeah, that was that was like uh, that was that was pretty ham fisted. But I, I still kind of loved it. Like, yeah, don't mess with halflings. No, no, no. They'll, they'll shoot you in the face. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... Uh, that was um, Yare's uh, foray into the real world, really. I guess. Um, it was fast and he learned quick, um, but he was he was a smart boy. Yeah. Um, so it's not surprising that he picked it up pretty quick. It's sort of a fish out of water tale. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, because we actually have to figure out what happens in the war, like, yeah. it's good to have a narrator of sorts but it's kind of funny because like i know this is this like global conflict with like hundreds of thousands of participants and like kind of the fate of the whole continent like depends on it i just don't care that much about it um like i really care more about like the siri stuff and the Geralt stuff and the yennefer stuff and everybody else but I, i guess i guess the war is important too 
Yeah, like it starts out as being very much about the war and toward the end, we're just so interested in what's happening with our main three characters that we're just not really caring about what's going on in the world. We kind of forgot about the war. (laughs) Yeah, it's actually kind of the reverse Game of Thrones. Um, It really is. (laughs) So there's been a lot of um, speculation that why people didn't like Game of Thrones, I mean, other than the obvious reasons in the last couple of seasons is because it shifted from being more of a a very psychological tale um, where we were learning a lot about characters and we learned their stories and we really liked that about it. But then it shifted to being a very big, like, socio-political, more of a sociological story. Um, so it was but about I would argue that big it didn't dynamics. do that well. No, I don't think it did it well. But Sorry. it's like, so we're shifting from, you know, character development and focusing on the characters that we really care about that we spend a lot of time developing to now we're just going to focus on these big dynamics that we've been sort of building up to but they're just not that interesting anymore yeah and i think one of the things that it always did really well early on was that the 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 individual like smaller like characters were kind of microcosms for the bigger parties that they represented you know what i mean and so like once you pull out that small interpersonal intrapersonal dynamic it kind of just becomes like like a big actiony war movie that it doesn't really do that very well and you're not nobody really cares that much about the actual kingdoms we watched it because we like the characors yeah it's because of the characters that we cared about the kingdoms and that's usually exactly. how they suck you in but later they were like oh yeah we've got to tie up all this stuff and like i think Anse does a lot of that tying up stuff but there isn't the kind of real estate devoted to it that um Geralt, Ciri, and Yennefer mm, get. Mm. So it's definitely more concerned with wrapping up that story than it is the war. But we definitely yeah. get an end to that. Yeah. Anyways, um should we have a nightcap, do you think? I think so. Might be time to venture into the, the nightcapery. Yes. Okay. I think it's time. Okay. So tonight we are drinking oh it is a another Montresel. Um, so this is the second Montresel that we've had uh, from Jumania, uh, Dominacion de Origin Portasia, uh, Im- imported in by uh, Truvin Imports in Clinton Place, New Rochelle, New York. Um, it's a Spanish wine. It is a Spanish wine, um, but this is called Time Waits for No One. It is an oak-aged Montresel from 2017. It is a... Harvest by hand, garnet red color, clean and bright, intense nose with hints of new wood in mouth, balanced round, and a pure finish. Um, and it's got a big skull and crossbones on the front of it. So um, it definitely grabbed my attention very quick. This was an Alexa pick. Um, so uh, it is 14.5% ABV. Uh, so it might be a little bit of a spicy uh, evening tonight. Um, also, this one was rated by Decanter. Um, has a 95. Uh, so we'll see... We'll see if it really lives up to that reputation. With yeah, we'll be the judge the, of the that. Midnight Book Club uh, rating system. Everyone's clamoring for that. Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. You good? I'm good, but I got wine all over myself. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. I mean, like all over myself. Aww. So forget wine on the on the fa- or beer on the face. Uh, we now have an incident with wine on the pants, um, and they are white pants. Oh. Oh, well, it'll be okay. I'll put some seltzer on it. Is it seltzer or club soda? Sure. Okay, we'll figure that out. 
that'll that'll be a me problem later. I guess I could just wipe my hand on the pants, right? Yeah. The, the damage is already, already the damage is already <laughs> yes, done. That's very true. We're already we're already there. In for a pine, in for a pound. Well, I must say the bouquet coming off of my pants is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that's what matters. Yes. I picked this wine because I thought it was a, a good accompaniment to our chapter because a lot of this chapter is about Yare thinking that he can't just, you know, wait any longer, that he has to do something. And I think he realizes that it's now or never. And so time, ironically, although it's not a factor for everyone in this book, time is very much a factor for Yare. So I thought this really fit with the theme of this chapter. I would say that it absolutely does. Um, so shall we uh, give it a sniff? Yes. Oh, oh, they definitely said new oak. And yeah, that honestly, that, that that's weird. I've never really like noticed that much of a difference between like, quote unquote, new oak versus old oak. Um, but I think I can I think I notice it in this. It um, smells very spicy. It's very spicy, but it smells like a just like a recently built basement. If that makes sense. Yeah, I get some sweet notes. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of black pepper. Like a juicy current, mm. something like that. Yeah, yeah. Not super strong in the fruits, though. I think some leather. Yeah, definitely. And it, it's kind of burning my nose a little bit, but that might just be the high alcohol proof. Yeah, it probably is. And it could also be the, the wine on my pants. That might... <laughs> might be a factor here that may be <laughs> that may be a factor shall we give it a taste i think so okay so cheers cheers wow mm. it's very deep it's like a spicy dark chocolate i like it Mm-hmm. that's it's really really smooth too like a lot of spanish wines it's dry at the finish which mm-hmm. i like mm-hmm. um it's not super sweet but it's like the right amount of sweetness. Yeah, me. this is a lot like a garnacha, um, in all honesty, without as much terroir. Um, yeah, it's not quite as minerally as like a garnacha. It's more fruity. Um, this is really, really good. I definitely get the black pepper that you were talking about. Yes. Yeah. It's like it's like oak barrel aged ras- black raspberries that are covered in like black pepper. Yeah, it's definitely not the same as like some of the barrel aged wines I've had, mm, um, but mm. I think that's from the new oak. Yeah, yeah, it's it, different. Yeah. It's a different style than I've had before, but I like yeah, it. Yeah, like I said, um, yeah, the new uh, like new oak definitely gives it. Like I said, I, that's not a thing that I've ever really thought to taste for before, um, but I, I see what they're talking about when they when they emphasize it. Like it's the best way I can describe it is like just like a freshly built basement where it has that like fresh cut wood kind of scent to it yeah i i think it like you definitely tell the difference you can tell the difference mm, yeah absolutely i i i think i can this is like a really solid wine um i love spanish wines because mm, um mm. they're very accessible but um i prefer wines on the drier side but not so dry that like there's no sweetness so i really enjoy this yeah a lot of spanish wines are really good at hitting that hitting that balance really really well um they're usually not too spicy not too sweet they usually do a really good job of capturing that sort of like environmental flavor of you know the environment around them kind of thing 
Um, and they end up with some really, really unique flavor profiles, I think. Um, so yeah, highly recommend it. Um, highly recommend this or like a Grenache. Grenache? Grenache. Grenache. Las Rocas, if you can find it, is one of is actually one of the wines that got me into fancy wine. So and we had we have done it for an episode. Did we? In the past. I, I thought we, we did. did it for a, yeah, we actually did it for the rocks chapter. Yes, <laughs> yes, we did. Shall we move on into the uh, last call? Save rounds, alibis. Yeah. Okay. So. Yare. Yare. Um, <laughs> so we definitely get. Um, this fish out of water tale with Yare um, and he runs into trouble really early with this group of ne'er-do-wells led by Pike and it turns out one of his uh, neighborhood acquaintances is there too, Melfi. So he has like some bad luck and some good luck. Um, But I think that Yare's experience is trying to highlight this, you know, the, the dangers of war and even though Yari has these great reasons for joining up we can see that those are um, easily torn down by people that don't have good intentions what are your thoughts on that yeah I mean a lot of it is so one of the big themes in in this book I think is definitely the idea of like um, kind of kind of toying with the idea of like might makes right um that like what do good people do when they're outnumbered and not the one holding the big sword you know what i mean like yeah um you know the like the 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 incident with yari standing between the merchant and uh pike is kind of like a, a prime microcosm example of like one of the big overall themes is that like you know a good person trying to stand up would just get themselves killed in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when they're outnumbered and out outgunned. Yeah. But Yari really shows himself to be, you know, at least morally right when he mm-hmm. stands up for something, even when he knows it's dangerous. Yeah. And, and that's, that's definitely, it, that's definitely the message of the book is that like you, you should still be doing that. Um, but sometimes it's, not easy because you might get very hurt (laughs) so yeah and and i think it's good that we're given this balance of like good people and bad people this chapter like um as the landsnecht says or the pikeman says um this kind of recruitment attracts the very worst Mm -hmm. of people because Mm -hmm villages want to purge their they just want to get rid of horrible people the dregs of society yes and so all of those people are suddenly unleashed and then you're left with a bunch of pikes on the road Mm -hmm. who you know just want to rob and you know torture people yeah now now i've you know normally they were the guy in the in the one town robbing and you know hurting people and instead they're now a road show um, because they're traveling out to meet up with the, the big army kind of thing. Yeah, and I like that there's these different dynamics in the group because even though Melfi isn't really doing anything wrong, he's not like part of the problem in the group. His complicity is definitely enabling the behavior. And so you see like the difference between Melfi who won't stand up and will kind of write off the things that his buddies do. Like, oh, they're just joking. Oh, they don't mean it. And it's a little easier to do that. Like when you 
kind of turn a blind eye and you're mm, like, oh, mm. they probably don't mean it. They're my friends. And then you see someone like Yare who is standing up for um, standing up for people that are kind of easy targets. Mm-hmm. And so you can see how even people with good intentions can um, end up defending bad behavior. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It, because it, it and that that's kind of something that is a a big long historical theme is that you know it, it and. We've we've played with this idea in the in the show before is that like neutrality is never never a good thing in in this case and uh, Milfy is essentially being neutral. Um, he's just oh it's just you know they're just kidding. He's writing it off. You know it's they're just jokes. Like, um, and all that ever does is basically just enable the the you know the villains to kind of come in and and muscle around and use their might to make right kind of thing. So. Yeah, and um, I like that we also see the best in, you know, humanity with the, the pikemen or landsnecks that show up. We see that, you know, they, they tell Yare that even if you um, are a good person, if you run with a bad crowd like that, you can sometimes be corrupted. I think it's a good lesson for Yare that even when you're not actively part of it, even when you just sort of run into these people by chance, you can still get sucked into it. Mm -hmm. And we definitely see there are consequences even for people that haven't done anything wrong or they might have just been the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong people. Yeah, and all of that is very heavily illustrated right in like three pages later when... uh, Dennis is taking Yare through uh, the courtyard with all the all the gallows in it um, that a lot of them were kind of not really necessarily bad people. Um, they were basically just, you know, some guy writing graffiti, another, you know, a, a, a madam of a of a house of ill repute, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, making a joke. Basically, um, a lot of those things were not necessarily like crimes or not necessarily things that were wrong. Um, so, you know, and, and they got caught up in, you know, in, in the problem, the product of the times. Yeah. And I think it's, it's interesting, um, that we can't really feel good about rooting for the North. Exactly. Like, even though Nilfgaard is like the big bad evil guys, they're the empire, like, we still see the horrors of war in Tamaria. Mm, like, mm. I don't think Anse is letting the North get, you know, get by without being judged yeah, either. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because, like we've been saying, that there's there's nuance in these main characters. Um, and there's also nuance in these sides of the war. Because even though the North probably, I mean, if we're going to put the North and Nilfgaard side by side, given all of the war crimes that Nilfgaard is engaged in, you know, the North would probably come out on top, mm, but mm-hmm. the North isn't blameless. They've oh, no, definitely no. done yep. a lot of things. And we see now that one of their major things that they're doing is making examples of people. Yes. Yep. Um, like it's it's very like we're going to put anyone to death that says something bad, that, you know, puts an anti war message on a wall. That um, you know, is sowing defeatism, whatever that means. Um, so they're putting people to death just to keep people in line. And a lot of that is a is a good illustration of like what happens to a disadvantaged side 
in a large scale conflict um, that they, the governing body becomes very reactionary um, and they, they kind of push to try and establish this unified appearance mm-hmm. um, in that, you know, we're strong, we're, we're all as one, we're fighting as one. So that, that little bit of dissension, you know, even though it is important and it is a, a thing that needs to be protected and fostered, kind of needs to go away for right now. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying that, that like, oh, well, it's okay because they're just doing it for now and they'll give it back later. That's not the argument that I'm making here. It's more that, like, as a result, they become very reactionary and they're just kind of like, nope, nope, you are you need to shut up and we're going to put you to death. Um, and it's not, it's not right, um, but it is kind of what happens. Um, and that is, you know, that is something that we're, we're seeing here that, you know, guys being being put to death for for graffiti kind of thing um because that when you already when you're already fighting an external war with a very large enemy that is very imposing and very intimidating and very frightening you can't have internal division Mm -hmm. fighting you can't fight a, a a war on that front as well um and it it won't last so you kind of they kind of in this case usually will just fall back on authoritarianism and just kind of squash anything that they they seem dissentful so and there are other dangers too to this kinds of this kind of like free speech um because one of the major things that's brought up is um when yare brings up that he's a volunteer that he's not conscripted to join um someone says oh, volunteers are usually the first to be deserters. And so there's a major fear about deserters because it's very incumbent on what's going on in the war. Like if you're winning a lot of like battles, if you're, the tides are shifting to you, then you're probably going to get a lot of recruits. Mm-hmm. But then um, the opposite is true when the tides shift to the other side. Suddenly um, people are deserting. Suddenly your ranks are leaving. Mm-hmm. So I think another big thing they want to um keep up is you know morale but also fear like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you want soldiers to think that they're on the winning side but you also want to keep them afraid that if they step out of line and this goes for citizens as well that they will be punished yeah yep and a lot of this is is kind of very textbook um, by the way, we're n- neither of us are advocating for this in any way. This is just a good, a, a really good kind of textbook example of like what's what usually happens in a lot of these kind of societies, even in modern societies when when they start to experience conflict and strife. Um, there's usually a lot more of like a, a clamping down and authoritarianism um, that that kind of marinates in in the governing body. Yeah, and and I don't think there's um it's an accident that there's a lot of like American sort of war advertisements like the um Uncle Sam like I want you like oh, comes yeah. to mind. <laughs> yes. Um I think that's a lot because we're trying to get across this concept of nationalism, mm-hmm, especially mm-hmm. during um times of war and yep. nationalism and patriotism are very close cousins. Mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. So once, you know, you delve into that, like, patriotic imagery, you're not that far away from, you know, nationalism and mm-hmm. um, xenophobia and all that good stuff. It all kind of comes together. Yep. 
Um, And, you know, I think we were also talking about this when we were reading. There's kind of an irony, I think. Um, It's probably not irony, but in my mind it is to um, to grandchildren of World War II veterans breaking down works of literature that's written by a child mm, of mm-hmm. World War II in Europe. Like yes, Anse yes. is someone who grew up in the shadow of World War II. So our minds really go to World War II mm-hmm. a lot when we're talking about this because, um, well, there's a lot of imagery there. There's a yeah, lot of commonalities yep. there um, between these two major world stages. Um, and also um, there's a lot of allusions to World War One here too mm-hmm, because... Mm-hmm. Yare um, says to the dwarves at one point, like, oh, this is the war to end all wars. That was literally what World War I was billed as, like, was the war to end all wars. Um, and that was kind of what they, they sold it. I sold it, for lack of a better word, as. Um, and then 30 years later, we had World War II. Not even 30 years later. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting because I think that every war is sort of sold as not so much in recent decades because I think people all know that this is not going to be the last war. Um, but I think that um, it's a lot easier to get behind a war that's going to be the biggest war and then we're never going to have a war again. Yeah, it, it, it's a little bit more digestible then. Like, yeah, we'll just get it all out of our system. It'll be a big purge, you know? It ups the stakes, too. Yeah, yeah. It's like you want to be part of the final video game battle. You know, you yeah. want to be part of the battle of good and evil. Yeah, that's yeah. easy to, for us to wrap our minds around. And it's also easy for us to believe that our side is the good side. Oh, yeah. Yep. Even for Nilfgaard. It's easy for yeah. Nilfgaard to believe Nilfgaard's the good people. You know, we're on, we're on the right side. I, I think that the illustration um, that there's been just a little bit of color that Anze has peppered in whenever we see like the Nilfgaardian court where they kind of view like everyone from the northern kingdoms as like barbarians and like the uncultured and like they they seem to view themselves as like this ba- these bastions of like true decency in the world and like, like Frangilla. Yes, like Frangilla yes. when she's at the, you know, conclave at Monte Calvo says this very thing like, oh, you know, the north is just uncultured. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're, you know, kind of backwater people. Yeah, yeah. And like as a result, like Nilfgaard thinks that they're the good guys like bringing we're spreading, you know, culture and civilization into the into the the, the savages Forcibly. that live. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> And, and that's might, always the subtext of that yes, statement. Yes, we will kill millions, but we will save hundreds, hundreds. of thousands. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think it's it's very interesting that we're getting this, um, you know, duality of war and understanding that even though we're kind of rooting for the North at this point, because I, who wants to root for Nilfgaard? It's like yeah, rooting yeah. for Slytherin. Yes, I yeah. know that there are some people that are very into Slytherin, yeah. but... I yes, most people aren't. That's what I'm saying, and so um, we don't really want to root for the big bad evil guys. Yeah, um, yeah. but the North still isn't blameless. It's yeah. I mean, it's kind of hard because we, as viewers and as media experiencers, want to uh, digest very simple to understand: good guy, good; bad guy, bad. Um, and so like we want to root for, you know, the good guy. Nobody wants to root for the bad guy. Uh, I mean, some people do, but 
they're weird and they're a different conversation. I'm sure some of our listeners do as well. And I'm sorry for anyone that may feel slighted. slighted I'm pro Darth Vader myself. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, okay, so that's, and that was actually where I was kind of going to go with this is that like, as we kind of get older, like some of the stories that we, you know, remember and, and go through and experiences when we're younger, um, we realize have more depth to them that like maybe the empire was actually bringing like civilization infrastructure and like, you know, like actual like structure and order to, a, a, a you know, an anarchistic galaxy kind of thing. And that the rebels are actually space terrorists running around, you know, uh, committing attacks on, you know, uh, military installations that it's are all a matter of perspective. It is absolutely 100% a matter of perspective. And, you know, to see a lot of the depth already kind of baked into the storyline is really, really fantastic. Um, because it does kind of make you weigh like, okay, yeah, I'm definitely like team Northern kingdoms and team allies, but like, yeah, I don't like that they're sending the dwarves out on the front. I don't feel good about it. <laughs> I don't feel good about that. <laughs> I don't like that they're hanging people for writing graffiti. I'm not I'm not cool with that, but you know, they're they kind of don't believe that non-humans should exist, but Nilfgaard also doesn't, but nobody knows that. So Let's get to Yari for a minute cuz I want to mm-hmm. talk about his uh patriotic duty um as we call it. Um so Yari says that he has, you know, these um, patriotic notions that he wants to join the war effort. I think that's true in one sense, but do we really think that Yari would be joining up if it wasn't for Siri being out there somewhere? Oh, absolutely not. Not even close. You don't nope. think so? No, 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 no. <laughs> I think maybe if he, if Siri wasn't out there, he maybe would have looked to be like a coach driver or something like that. Like maybe, maybe I could see him working towards that. Um, but because Siri's out there, he wants to get out there and save her. And I think he thinks the best way to do that is to get involved in the military and, and go like become a soldier. And he's going to like wander into Nilfgaard and like walk up to the Nilfgaardian court, just him and like (laughs) grab her hand. And if he's like 16 and like any 16 year old, like, yeah, that's probably what his brain is telling him right now. So, yeah, I, I kind of agree. Like, I think that, it it probably would get to any of us, you know, being like the only person, you know, at the temple, like one of a handful of people that's not joining the war effort. Mm, mm-hmm. But at the same time, if there isn't that, you know, catalyst, if there isn't Siri, I don't know if it's as big of a priority for him. Oh, absolutely not. No. It's always about like, you know, the girl, I think. <laughs> um And so, you know, we really see that highlighted when he um, asked the merchant to write Siri inside of that locket. Like he he really has these notions about her. He wants to save her. Um, But I do think he's being a little smart that he's not letting other people in on that. Exactly. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely definitely very smart, mostly because I mean, I think I think there'd initially be some mockery involved, but like. Um, also like the idea is that like Siri has this great grand destiny. Also, everybody knows Siri as like a princess. Um, and Yari is just some dude. Like he's literally just some dude. Uh, Siri is like the destined princess of the Northern kingdom, like to become Dane, to be the empress. Like Yari is just some dude. Yeah. That's a fair description. Um, and I mean, realistically, that is kind of the dynamic that's actually at play here. Um, 
Yari's just some dude. <laughs> Um, I think that's what makes him a good narrator, though, because we are seeing this war effort and everything through his eyes mm, um, mm. because this is new stuff for him. Yeah. Um, he's yeah. never seen this kind of stuff before. So yeah, we're yeah. being introduced to it in the same vein. He's basically literally never been outside of the temple. So like, yeah, he's a very good narrator for like experiencing this because he has a justified reason as to why he doesn't know these things and can ask questions and like, can like be an exposition for us. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it feels more organic than just having someone stand there and be like, and then this happened and this happened and these guys yeah. did these things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I also wanted to talk about our dwarf um, reunion. Mm-hmm. So we see uh three characters we've met before, even though I know that you don't remember Dennis that much. I do not. So two people that you probably do care about, Yarpin Zegrin and Zoltan Shive, mm-hmm. um, are part of the same dwarf unit, um, as is this new guy called Sheldon. Um, so we definitely get this little reunion, which I think is nice. I think it, it makes sense why we're um, reuniting with these people. It makes us feel good to see they're all together and friends. Um, so what did you think about them all being part of this dwarf unit? I am 100% here for it. I am super fucking excited. Uh, Zoltan Chive is probably also, like I said, one of my favorite characters. Um, Yarpin's a lot of fun also. Uh, he's kind of adventurous. He's spent a lot of time with Siri. Um, so he knows Siri and Geralt very well. Zoltan knows Geralt very well. He also has met Siri. He's also met Yennefer. He has also met Yennefer. Um, and yeah, they all, they're all like, they all know who these people are. So I think, I think we may see a lot coming from the dwarves. Uh, Dennis seems interesting. I don't know. He seems cool. Sheldon. Cool. I don't know. I don't like his name, but that's just me. Yeah. I I really like how they were all brought together and I think it doesn't feel unnatural. Um, it feels like, of course they would all be in this war effort. Well, yeah, because I mean, there's only, there's probably, sorry, I didn't mean to, to cut you off there. Um, but I was going to say, like, there, there's probably only, like, a couple of dwarves in the Northern Kingdom. Like, most of the dwarves don't... Re- most of the other non-humans kind of don't really love the Northern Kingdoms because they don't treat them like humans. So, um, so well, I mean, like... this is also, like, a Mahakam force. So, this is, like, an official delegation, or not delegation, but this is an official unit for mm, Mahakam. Mm. So a lot of people are like confused, like, oh, I thought that the dwarves weren't with us because mm-hmm. they wanted to be in with the Nilfgaardians because, you know, they, they have the Scoia'tael on their side. Yeah, yeah. Um, And so, like, it's a big surprise that Mahakam is part of this. Yeah, yeah. Um, And, like, I think that's because, like, as the stakes go up, a lot of people are realizing they can't just sit on the sidelines, including mm-hmm. dwarves. Yeah, um, yep. Because... They all have a lot to lose if Nilfgaard just takes over everything. Yeah, because realistically, like, the dwarves probably realize that, like, um, you know, they all the northern kingdoms buy from them. It's a good economics to have them around. Um, if they all get wiped out, the Nilfgaard is probably going to just take over the mines. That's um, what Nilfgaard's MO has been, yeah, is and that then, Nilfgaard, like, wanted to take over, like, all of the Adir... Adarian means of production. Yeah. Yep. And use it for their own benefit. Yeah. And they'd probably replace all the dwarves with slaves and then just keep all of the, 
the like silver or whatever iron or whatever they were mining. So yeah, I mean it, it's 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 good business to not side with Nilfgaard for the dwarves at least. But it also doesn't mean that it's not kind of annoying to partner up with the northern kingdoms because they're treated very badly by the northern kingdom they're like all right let's put them out front and uh hopefully they'll eat up some arrows like yeah like let's just put them in danger and also let's make fun of them as non-humans and treat them like crap yep so but i am glad that they're all together for better or worse like it is good to see them all like i love that little part where yarp and zegrin talks about I know that's not Siri. I know mm, she's mm, not, you know, mm. in Nilfgaard. Or if she is, I know she uh, isn't saying yes. She would never agree to that. Um, Excellent callback. Absolutely loved that. Yeah. And I also like that Zoltan in his own quiet way says, yeah, I know she's destined for other things, implying that, you know, he's had this big experience with Geralt. He knows a lot of what's going on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but neither of them show their hands exactly, which I thought was yeah. telling. We still got, we, we, we got a good, a good glimpse of Dwarf Squad. Dwarf Squad. Um, and I am absolutely here for it. Dwarf Squad goals. Dwarf Squad um, goals. Yep. <laughs> um, but I also like the, the very end where I think like it's, it's as important like what's unsaid as what's said. Like, um, so when Dennis tells Yari, when Yari asked to join the Dwarven unit and he says no, um, and Yari's like, it's because I'm not a dwarf, isn't it? And Dennis is just like, yeah. And he doesn't tell him all the reasons that he's not going to have him do that because mm-hmm. he wants him to get back to Ellender in one piece because yep. he doesn't want... Because um, he... He owes Neneke. Yes. <laughs> and he knows that basically like anything that his unit is going to get is basically going to be a suicide mission every single time. I just, I really like that reveal and it shows Dennis to be a a good guy and he's not going to say something that, you know, makes Yare feel bad or, you know, show his hand too much. Mm -hmm. But I thought that was really interesting and a good insight into Dennis's character. Absolutely. Um, And finally, we get this um, welcome to the poor fucking infantry, Mm, mm -hmm. um, which I thought was just really funny because Yari kind of expected he was going to be put with the gifted kids with like the smart kids. Oh, yeah. yeah. uh, He's in the same place as Melfi, who's drunk off his ass. Um, So it just shows that like it's kind of the great equalizer when you can't like fight and you're not like (laughs) you don't bring any skills to the table except, you know, your brains and what right. does that even matter <laughs> you can you can stand in front of things cool all right <laughs> we got a spot for you so yare is really not going to be um shielded in any way from oh the no war. oh no <laughs> no um i i genuinely like i said i kind of thought they would probably put him in intelligence or something like that which probably actually would be a good fit for him but I hope I hope in a few chapters down we see that he has maybe made it somewhere that's like a little bit more kinder to him. <laughs> I, I don't maybe, know if that's going to happen. I think maybe just more that he could be more effective. I think would be would be probably a good thing. But well, Yari definitely has a purpose, and we'll see that in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just really enjoyed that uh, Yari and Melfi have ended up in the same place. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, we'll see what happens next for that uh, squad goals. <laughs> That um, maybe unwitting squad on Yari's part. Oh, man. 
I don't know. <laughs> Melfi I, I is do. sort of the Marine that gets like an eagle tattoo oh, on no, his he, chest. Oh, no, he absolutely like, is. Like, hey, like, look at what I got done. I got an <laughs> eagle tattooed on my chest the night before I ship out. <laughs> Bro, uh, what the fuck? <laughs> adventures yeah. of Melfi and Yare. Yeah, um, yep, that is that is absolutely on brand for Melfi. Um, yeah, I... I would love to see like a full chapter of just like a full metal jacket style of like them going through like everything and Malfi's just kind of like drunkenly like stumbling his way through but being like really successful. This is my sword. <laughs> there are many like it, but this one is mine. Exactly, exactly. Um it just hit him with the pointy end. But like and then Yare just like struggling like Guys, I really don't know like where I'm. Yeah, I, this rope really burns my hands. I don't know if I can climb it. Like, I have shin splints. Yeah, already. As someone who tends to be that guy, like I, I, I definitely felt for Yari a little bit. But like, also, it's hilarious. <laughs> well, we do have a fun little treat at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, if you really disliked Pike and his boys, like, which you know, how how could you? like them um <laughs> that whole scene absolutely did not need to happen but i'm really glad that it did <laughs> i really like how Anse set it up is that oh they're this poor defenseless group of halflings mm, oh mm-hmm. they're being targeted by pike he's a bully yeah, oh and he no is. and then they just like fucking pull out murder. crossbows murder and, hobbits like, kill all of them easily and they did this several times. There's a pattern. There's like a field of corpses that they've just like That's, dispatched. That is my favorite part of the whole scene is when they're like, oh, yeah, put it with the others. And yeah, you're just like just a Tuesday. And you and yeah, and you realize like, well, but and then it, it does kind of dawn on you that you're like, oh, that's probably why they're so like serene and idyllic and seem to have never been bothered by anyone because anyone that does bother them is murdered quickly. Yeah, I really like that um, the tables were turned on Pike. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you thought that you could pick on us because we're little. Uh, no. No. <laughs> we have no. tiny dexterous hands <laughs> that are good for operating crossbows. Uh, no, big folk. Uh, you best go home now. Um, mm-hmm. I, I just really like this scene. It didn't have to happen, but I, like you said, I'm glad that we had it. It was a nice little sprinkle on the end of, you know, the Sunday. One of one of my favorite D&D experiences that I ever had was um, I had basically the two. I was playing a halfling. I was playing a halfling druid um, who had an ability called uh, Thunderclap, which is basically you just make this big concussive wave and it stuns everybody within like a 600 foot radius. Um, I had the fighter and the barbarian uh, grab me. Uh, one of them kicked in the door that we were going through, tossed me into the room. <laughs> As I landed, I cast Thunderclap and basically flashbanged the entire room. Oh my God. <laughs> it was fantastic. And then they came in and just like started hitting everything while, while they were stunned. That's amazing. It was absolutely beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I I do wonder how many humans they've like quickly murdered. Um, it sounds like a lot. Yeah. It sounds like a lot. Enough them. to wear out Granny's back. Yeah, Grant, Granny's a little tired from all the murdering she's yeah. been doing out <laughs> yeah. in the fields. Um, yeah. <laughs> I I also like that there's a little connection that um, the 
wife is related to dainty in yes. some way yeah. uh, that was really nice callback um we're getting these little easter eggs and i don't think they're all just fan service i think they all make sense mm-hmm. um so i did notice that dainty's garden was very very fertile and the question is what makes the grass grow blood 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 it wasn't dainty though it was rocco it was rocco yes, you're I right know. it was rocco by by Breville. yeah it wasn't rocco by Breville. oh no it was rocco hyden build I think you just made that up. I but, think I did. Um, so he's married to a Bibervelt, yes, but he is yes. not a Bibervelt. You're right. You're right. Yeah. But we'll just have to see what halfling murder and uh, Yari adventures we get into next time. Mm-hmm. Um, with that, uh, I think the fire is getting a little low. Um, and it's always important to remember to bury, uh, bury bodies under endangered species. So plant endangered flowers above mm-hmm. your bodies. Um, so then it's illegal to dig them up. Great advice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to go enlist in the poor fucking infantry. Mm-hmm. And I'll see you on the other side. Okay. Okay. You have fun with that. <laughs> Until next time, I'm John Mark. And I'm Alexa. Good night. Good night. <laughs>